Danny. And this is episode 72 of Fried Squirms. We are back to talk horror with you once again. Yeah, and we're continuing these runs of films where we're kind of choosing them after the end of our episodes. So this is kind of another random one. We have 1986's The Hitcher with Rodger Hauer, C. Thomas Howell, Jennifer Jason Lee, all up in this. But before we get to that, do you have any news? I do have a couple of bits of information to share. I'll keep it brief and to the point. So there's three bits of news that I do want to share. The first one is that the cast of the upcoming It in 2019 is almost complete for the adults. I know they've added two more actors on board. I think the only ones they don't currently have are Mike and I believe Ben's character. Everybody else has been filled out adult-wise. Some pretty interesting names, if you look at it. Jessica Chastain's on board, Bill Hader, James McAvoy, a few others, so it should be interesting. The next bit of news that I want to share is that Rob Zombie has shared two pictures for his upcoming Three from Hell, and that includes a shot of Bill Mosley, and it does include a shot of Sherry Moon Zombie. From what I understand, too, is don't expect a release for this year. Sounds like it's going to come out next year. Okay. Okay, and one I think I saw you pull up. I won't let you share it. Yes. The one that I do want to share, unfortunately, is a bit of sad news. You know, we do that from time to time, but the legendary artist, Bill Gold, who was responsible for designing posters such as The Exorcist, he designed the poster for A Clockwork Orange, you might have seen his artwork on the poster for Deliverance. <laughs> In that case, you might have seen his artwork on like every other college dorm room wall. Oh, I'm pretty sure of that. I mean, he designed the poster for Casablanca and Dirty Harry, but unfortunately, he has passed away at the age of 97. So, wow. Yeah, I lived quite I was a long time. I'd say to do Casablanca, I suppose he would have to be. Quite, yeah. It's like when you start stacking some of those uh, bodies of work. But, you know, legendary. The movies and the posters, I mean, they're iconic in an essence. His posters and his artwork for them are almost as iconic as the films themselves is what I'm getting at. So, unfortunately passed away, but like I said, he almost lived to be 100. So, wow. yeah, you know, get to him. That's pretty amazing. But I do know there's some other news concerning a movie and auctions. Oh, my God. So, this was actually just posted today, like hours ago. I mean, by the time you hear this, it'll be a week later, so I'm fucking sorry about that, but whatever. Kind of doubt any of you are going to get in on this auction anyway. Maybe it's you are, steep, though. It's pretty steep, but there's some interesting are. bits, yeah. So, <laughs> the baby prop from a little movie known as a Serbian film. I'm very familiar. Is now up for auction on eBay. Did you see what the starting bid was? 6000 Six k and... I did take a look at some of the items that are on auction on eBay, and someone has put in a bid for it. And I would imagine as the time moves on with this auction, I'm sure it'll fetch a lot more than 6 k But there's also, like, prop dildos and oh. dresses and I think parts of the screenplay. You can actually buy the script with edits in it. There's, I think, a limited run of some posters 150 or so that are signed by some of the cast and crew. They had a an exhibit over the weekend with this was May 18th in Los Angeles. So I know a little bit about it because Unearth Films were a part of it. I believe they're trying to get the rights to release it and distribute oh, okay. it. So the president, Stephen Bureau, was present 
at the event. But, so, yeah. as of right now, there's one bid, and 51 people are watching this. I might be one of those 51, because I'm curious to see what it gets. It currently has four days, one hour left. So by the time you hear this <laughs> episode, well, yeah, we'll it's going to be over. I guess we'll keep you updated for next week. Gosh, that's interesting, uh, The description. Man. The baby that shook the world. This is the original screen-used baby from a Serbian film that featured in one of the most talked about, praised and condemned, censored and celebrated, and downright disgusting scenes in cinema history. This rare one-of-a-kind prop can be yours if the price is right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it comes with a certificate of authenticity from Contra and Unearthed. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I suppose if you know anything about a Serbian film, you might know what this prop was about. Oh I, I don't want to ruin it. No, it's definitely a huge spoiler, but... I also wow. don't necessarily want to recommend you go watch a Serbian film. I would say... It's go for ahead. those who are experienced. I would say I don't want to spoil it, but you should probably know what you're getting into before putting it on. So feel free to go spoil it for yourself through like Wikipedia or something. And then come back and let us know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I thought it was interesting. There's a lot of I'm not sure things if that you we're ever going to cover it. We've kind of talked about Maybe. it in the past. There's worse things. But... Oh yeah, but it's... I'm also not like Super champing at the fucking bit to nah. to watch that movie again. Not necessarily. Not unless there's a certain occasion that arises. Yeah. No I mean, there's there's definitely art within it, but it's also just... It means a video nasty for sure, yeah. man. That's all you can say about it. But aside from that, that's about all I have to share for the week. Yeah, shit. I guess I don't really have too much. I, uh sort of upgraded my movie watching space and that's about it so yeah i noticed how it looks good yeah that's about it though just rearranged my living room got some bias lighting for my tv nice. which was gorgeous while watching this movie by the way last night Dude, it looks really good in the dark just blood red leds up on the wall behind the fucking tv made for a uh, very nice night to watch fucking hitcher watching nice hell yeah dude yeah it looks really good out there so good job with that dude I guess we should probably get into the guts and bolts, especially since I already rattled off a few people's names. Yeah, I'm ready when you is. Let's do this. my chairs ever squeaked <laughs> it's squealing too yeah for well it's not reasons. squealing time it's guts and bolts time that's true so let's see synopsis yeah i suppose we should start with synopsis okay so a synopsis for this movie is will smith is a romantic helper who needs help in his own romantic lo- oh wait that's hitch <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's funny uh, <laughs> uh let's see the hitcher I actually thought of a couple things about this movie. So if for some reason you had never been into horror before and you were only introducing yourself to horror through movies we've talked about, this is basically Henry meets I Saw the Devil meets Saw. And it just like a, a splash of like Hannibal season three. 
Yeah, I can see that. There's a little bit of that. However, if you know you're a normal person and don't know those live your life <laughs> by listening to our fucking podcast, then I suppose a young man picks up the hitchhiker that your mom warns you about when she says don't pick up fucking hitchhikers. Yep. Brief synopsis straight into the point. I like it. I think it's very simple. Which then becomes a very protracted game of cat and mouse. Oh, yeah. And not like the Tom and Jerry. Yeah, so good brief synopsis. Like I said, it came out in 1986. We do like to talk about the people who go into making the film. So I'll start with our director, who is Robert Harmon. And Robert Harmon, he got on board because at first he was a still photographer and he was a DP. And he didn't want to live his life being stuck in that kind of domain. And he did a short film, and that short film is called China Lake, which led him to get the role for directing this film that we're talking about today, The Hitcher. So with that, he went on to do other films, such as Eyes of an Angel, Nowhere to Run. He did the TV movie Gotti. You might have seen a film called They. He also directed Highwaymen. Now, he's also known for working with Tom Selleck. And if you don't know who Tom Selleck is, I'm talking about Magnum P.I.'s Tom Selleck. The mustache is Tom Selleck. But no, he went on to do like almost every single one of those. Are you that Tom Selleck's mustache actually owns Tom Selleck? It might. It might be its own entity. I can get down with that. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty stylish. But if you're familiar with Tom Selleck's body of work as Jesse Stone, then you have seen Robert Harmon's body of work because he's directed almost every single one of them. And he's also directed tons of episodes, 13 to be exact, not really tons, but he's also done the television series Blue Bloods, which stars Tom Selleck. Of course it does. Yeah. So you've probably seen some of his work. Now, along with Robert Harmon, we do have a writer, very interesting gentleman. His name is Eric Redd. Now, Eric Redd, he wrote the screenplay when he was 20. He got inspired by a Doors song. So this is a little bit of spoil, a little bit trivia more than anything. Riders on the storm. Yeah. So if you're familiar with the song, then you're probably familiar with the lyrics and its meaning. So he was inspired by that story. Apparently he worked, I believe, as a taxi cab driver and optioned the rights to try to get this film picked up. And this is while he was in Texas, and he made it out to Los Angeles. And there's a strip of interstate that plays a very important role in this film. Now, I was debating on whether I was going to talk about this now or later, mm-hmm. but in a really interesting case, we're, since we're not talking about the remake, there was a remake in 2007. Mm-hmm. Not very well received, a little bit more heavy on the torture porn side. However, that's what the original script for this was more like. Yeah, um, exactly. However, the funny part about it is because we're not talking about the remake, and I don't see any good reason to. No. Don't see any good reason to, so we'll mention this now. Eric Red actually had to make sure that he got writing credit. I did see that. On the remake. I think they were going to leave him off or something, and he petitioned to make sure that he got it, because apparently the remake is a lot closer to his original script than even this one was. Yeah. Because his original script would have made for a three-hour movie. Yeah, I mean, he wrote a very extensive screenplay for this. I think it was 190 pages. And in Hollywood terms, one page of script equals to be one minute. One minute of film time. Yeah, exactly. So he had 190 pages, which is a little over three hours. The remake follows his original script closer than this one. Mm-hmm. However, he also completely disavows it because he considers it to be a terrible fucking movie. Yeah, it's not that great. I think I've seen bits and pieces of it. 
I've only heard of something like that happening with like one other movie. And I think it was like one of the last Crocodile Dundee movies. <laughs> like the guys that wrote it had to like fight legally in court to make sure that they got writing credit so they could get paid it's like, for yeah, it. Yeah, bitches, we're trying to get paid. But even they admit to it being just like a shit for the money movie. Like they hate the movie. Wish they, they wouldn't wrote paid. it, yeah. but they needed to literally go through the court process. Well, if it's to inspired make sure from an original paid. writing, yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. But I do want to talk about some of Eric Red's scripts that he's helped write because he's got some really interesting credits. So, if you're familiar with a horror film in the '80s, a film called Near Dark, he helped write the screenplay for that. We should cover that at some point. I know we will. Oh uh, yeah, we will. Yeah, he's also helped write the screenplay for Blue Steel with actor activist Ron Silver. Yeah, dude. He's also wrote the screenplay for a film called Body Parts, another horror film. You might have seen a film he wrote, Undertow. He's also wrote for Bad Moon. Like I said, he got credit for The Hitcher 2, I've Been Waiting, The Hitcher from 07, and a film called 100 Feet. So those are some of his credits. Moving on, we have a really, really interesting DP or cinematographer on this film. is a gentleman named John Seal. I believe he is from Australia. So when I start to look at some of the works that he's done, the reason that he got this particular film is for his work on a film called Witness, which I believe is a Hyacinth Ford film. And the producer, one of the producers on this film, helped produce that film. And because he knew his body of work, he was recommended. So, Oh, and let's point out the fact that he's actually been Oscar nominated for Witness, Rain Man, Cold He's actually Mountain, won an Oscar. And right won for The English Patient. Yeah, so when you start looking into his body of works, it starts off a little early. There is one film I want to mention. It's a film called BMX Bandits. It's an Australian film. The reason I brought that up, because if I'm not mistaken, I believe that's where Nicole Kidman makes her appearance. And think of the name of the title, BMX Bandits. <laughs> All right, so I mentioned that he was a DP for the film Witness. You might have also seen some of his work as the DP for... Children of a Lesser God. He's done a film called The Mosquito Coast. Really good film. It has Kurt Russell and a very young River Phoenix. Oh. Yeah, really good movie. It's one of my best friend David's films that he enjoys, so shout out to David. He's also been the DP for the film Stakeout, Emilio Estevez film. You might have seen his work with Sigourney Weaver in Gorillas in the Mist. You mentioned Rain Man. He is a DP for Dead Poet Society, The Firm, The English Patient, which he won oh, the Oscar for. Have I mentioned fucking Fury Road yet? Have either of us? Not yet. Because goddamn, Fury Road. He won a shitload of awards for that. That entire movie is told through the visual action. Yeah. And this was the guy making sure that it was all captured like that. It makes perfect sense when you look well, at it. Well, I mean, the obviously also the vision of George Miller behind it. But Well, yeah. This was the actual fucking cinematographer behind one of the most badass films of recent memory. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so <laughs> along with Mad Max Fury Road, he's also done work on Ghosts of Mississippi, The Talented Mr. Ripley, The Perfect Storm, Cold Mountain, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and a band that I really enjoy. I got to see them around this time of last year. He did the video for Radiohead's All I Need. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that was kind of neat. Now, along with our cinematographer, we have the editor on this film is Frank J. Uristo. Now, he's done some really cool horror films. Now, he was the editor on the horror film The Entity. You might have seen his work in Amityville 3D. 
He's also the editor in the film Conan the Destroyer, Red Sonia. He was the editor for the film Robocop. I was, Hard. You, I was about to say, you keep Slide. burying the lead. This was the guy that edited fucking Robocop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct. Cliffhanger, Tombstone, Conspiracy Theory, Lethal Weapon 4, and R.I.P. <laughs> to the gentleman who starred oh, in Deep oh, Blue. Wait, wait, wait. I was C. about to say, and Deep Blue C, yeah. Paul Walker, R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, so he's got some really interesting credits to his name. Now, the music in this is a really cool gentleman. I want to talk about him a little bit later on. But the music was composed by Mark Isham. Now, he's done some films, some really cool films as far as scoring. He's scored the film Point Break. Ooh, Blade. Yes. Cool World with Bradolf Pittler. Oh, no shit. One that goes right back here to Montana, actually parts of the Blackfoot River. A River Runs Through It. You've heard his work in Of Mice and Men. Uh, Varsity Blues. Yes. He's done the score for Fire in the Sky. Quiz show, The Net. Well, how about this? Hardball. Oh, dang, yep. I know what you're talking about, too. That's not... I love it when you call me Big Pop. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's funny, dude. Now, he's also scored the films for October Sky, The Black Dahlia, Stephen King's adapted The Mist. Really fucked up film. You might have heard his score in The Crazies, Warrior, Black Mirror, the episode Archangel from 2017. So he's got some really need to get cool on that fucking work. Black Mirror shit. I keep hearing the best things. I've seen a few episodes from season one, but I need to watch a little bit further. Now, there's a few special effects team. A lot of the special effects are a matter of practical effects. Some of it's visual, but not very much. So anyhow, Cinema Research, they help with the visual effects in this. And Makeups Effects Laboratories helped, of course, with the makeup. Our producers on this film are David Bombick and Kip Oman. Production companies are HBO Films. They help present it as a HBO Pictures and Silver Screen Partners are in association with. Distributors are TriStar Pictures. They help with a 1986 USA theatrical release. It was released on January 17th, 1986. That was in Victoria, Texas, and it got its world premiere on February 21st, 1986. The budget on this film is an estimated $6 million. It made $2.1 million its opening weekend here in the States. That was dated February 23rd of 86. And it grossed, I believe, box office. It made $5.8 million. And then, I believe, with the combined worldwide, it made right at $8 million. I've got a few taglines for this film because, you know, I like some. So one of the taglines I have is, The terror starts the moment he stops. Nice. Right? Yeah, I like that one. And the second one I have is, whatever you do, don't stop for the hitcher. Okay. Eh. Neither of them are really my favorite, but okay. Yeah, there's a few others, but those are about the standout ones. So that concludes who Ooh, I have for those people. Those are the standouts? <laughs> no, what I, mean, what I mean by that is, those are my standouts for the people who went into making the film. Now we can get to talk about the cast of the film, which well, this is where the true shining stars are at. Oh, yeah, and this is who we've already mentioned, too. So the Huge titular draw. hitcher man. would be played by Rudger Hauer yes. as yeah. John Ryder. John Ryder, and I believe Ryder has a significance for a reason, outside yeah. of the fact that he's hitcher. Yeah, I agree. Well, and other than just Ryder on the storm. Yeah, which I think that was probably the more influential aspect of his name. All right, so when I start looking at the bodies of work with Mr. Hauer, now you so, have to note that he is a Dutch actor, so he started off doing a lot of television series and some films in his native Holland. And then when he came to the States, 
that's kind of where he made his big name. So we did cover Alien not very long ago. And the reason I bring up Alien is because he was in Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. So I would hope you've oh, seen that film at some yeah, point. Yeah, see, that's what I was going to say is that first and foremost, Rutger Hauer to me is always going to be Roy Batty. So, so fucking good. All right, so when I move along with his film credits, he was in films such as Lady Hawk. There's a film that he co-starred with one of our actresses, which we've already mentioned, but he was in a film called Flesh and Blood, a film I grew up watching. One of the reasons why is because I used to watch the show Step by Step. It had an actor in it who starred along Rutger Hauer in a film called Blind Fury. Pretty good, decent, late 80s film. Now, he's also in a film we've mentioned several times. Hobo with a Shotgun. That movie's so good. Good Canadian film, eh? Yeah. (laughs) Go check it out. Canadian Grindhouse. Oh, it's good. Yeah, (laughs) fucking oh. So, I've also seen him in films such as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You might have seen him in Merlin from 1998's television series. He was in the film Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. It was Cardinal Rourke in Sin City. Yes, he was. You might have seen him in Batman Begins. That's the Christopher Nolan's. Really? Do you ever forget those eyes? No, I would hope not. He was also in the television series Smallville. You might have seen him in the television series Salem's Lot from 2004. He was in the film The Right. He was also in an Argento film, Dario Argento's Real Shitty Dracula 3D. <laughs> and he was also in True Blood, the television series, as Niall Brajant. So those are some of his bodies of work. Very extensive catalog, though. I will say that. And then if that is our titular character and our antagonist, yes, our protagonist is going to be played by C. Thomas Howell. Do you know what the C stands for? Christopher. Christopher. Yeah. So C. Thomas Howell, I'll go back with him for several reasons. Now, he was a child actor. Oh, and he's playing Jim Halsey. Yes, Jim Halsey is his character. Now, he goes back, and he starred in a Steven Spielberg film. Now, he didn't star, but he was in the film in E.T., The Extraterrestrial. He got his big breakthrough as Ponyboy Curtis in the S.E. Hinton's Adapted The Outsiders. That has an all-star cast of dudes. Yeah. Love that film. As someone who watched a lot of I Love the 80s, I've never seen the movie, Man, but when I think dude. of, well, no, 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 not The Outsiders. When I think of C. Thomas Howell, I can't help but think of him in a little movie called Soul Man. Yes. Well, we had mentioned <laughs> that film throughout the week, and I think I was mentioning this to Patrick, who was, you know, in our previous episode, but I was like, yeah, there's a film that I saw in the 80s <laughs> that starred C. Thomas Howell and Tommy Chong's daughter, Ray Dong Chong. Mm-hmm. And it's a film you just mentioned, Soul Man. And the reason why, because the a brief synopsis of that film is a C. Thomas rich Howell kid, goes in blackface. Yes, a rich <laughs> suburban kid tries to get into Harvard, so he tries to do the affirmative action thing and goes in blackface. It's a comedy, mind you. <laughs> it man, it got a lot of backlash for probably some you know pretty obvious reasons, but. Not to defend it too much, it's a pretty decent film. It's a comedy. It's not bad. It has a pretty interesting cast, man. Of like Julia Louis Dreyfus is in it. Leslie Nielsen is in it. Shit, I mean, there's a ton of people I'm not mentioning. But anyhow, long story short, that is definitely a film <laughs> he was in. You might have seen him in a film that I liked. It's a volleyball film from the late '80s. A movie called Side Out. <laughs> it's a pretty decent film. He was also in Gettysburg. You might have seen him in Kindred, The Embraced, Gods and Monsters. He was in the Hillside Strangler. Oh, star well, in ER. 
I was thinking he's in Gods and Generals, but he's also, I mentioned Gods and Monsters, because I should point out, lots of people like to give DC crap right now, because they're kind of shit in the bed with the Justice League movies compared to what Marvel's been doing with the movies. However, for the last few years, DC's animation has been on point, and he does the voice for Professor Zoom, Eobard Thawne, in one of the better DC animated movies, The Flashpoint Paradox, and in one that I super enjoyed, Justice League Gods and Monsters, which is like the asshole versions of all the Justice League, which I highly recommend everybody go and watch if you're interested at all in that shit. Nice. Yeah, so see, Thomas Howell also has been in films such as, you might have seen this, it's a film called Mutant Vampire Zombies, now check this, From the Hood. Yes. <laughs> what the fuck? Now he's also been in The Amazing Spider-Man, he was in Sons of Anarchy, he was in Grimm the television series, you might have seen him in the film LBJ, he was also in Ray Donovan, the television series, and he played Carson Wolf in the Punisher television series. Oh, and you can attest to how much Injustice 2 I played. Yeah. In this past year, he voiced Captain Cold. Nice. So. Yeah, so Mr. Howell's still doing a lot of work, which is cool. I think he's got like over 200 credits to his name at this point. Now, our main actress in this film, which she, more or less kind of a side character, but she does have an important role later on in the film. Nash. Nash. We're talking about Jennifer Jason Lee, and there's a lot of films I grew up watching that had Jennifer Jason Lee in it. Fast Times. Yes, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. She plays a young teenage girl who gets pregnant in that film. Now, she was also in The Waltons from 1981's television series. You might have seen her in the film Easy Money. I did mention she was in the film Flesh and Blood with Rucker Hauer. And that's the reason why she wanted to be in this film. She wanted to be reunited with him. Now, she went on to do films such as Last Exit to Brooklyn, which got her a lot of notoriety. As Extends. Yeah, she was in As Extends. I grew up watching a film that had Jason Patrick from Lost Boys. It's a good film. It's about narcotics and FBI agents. It's a <laughs> film called Rush. Now, she was also in Single White Female. She was in the film with Alec Baldwin in Miami Blues. She went and starred in Dolores Claiborne. She did some voice acting in the television series King of the Hill, television series Hercules as Tempest. She was in Spawn, the television series. Now, I did see her in a film called The Anniversary Party. It has a really cool cast. It's kind of an eh, indie film. But it's a pretty good cast. She also had a voice lent in Hey Arnold, the movie. She was in the film The Machinist. You might have seen her in The Jacket. She was in a Ben Stiller film called Greenberg. It's pretty decent. I've seen it. And very recently, she was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for a role in The Hateful Eight. Dude, that was so good. She yeah. did a fucking good job. She had a little filthy potty mouth. In <laughs> <laughs> now, she also starred in LBJ. She was also in Amityville, The Awakening, and you might have seen her recently as Chantel Hutchins in Twin Peaks, the series. And if I'm not mistaken, she was also in the film Annihilation. Those are some of her bodies of work. Really great actress. I enjoy her work. Her father was an actor as well, and she was the daughter of Vic Morrow. There's kind of a weird coincidence with his death and a scene, perhaps, in this film. I'll I'll mention a little bit later on. So keep that in mind. All right. So moving on, we do have some other actors, probably not as well-known, but I do want to mention some other credits. 
So we have a captain of a police force in this film, because there's a lot of policemen. Mm -hmm. Now, the gentleman I'm talking about is Jeffrey DeMunn. He plays Captain Estridge, and he kind of goes back. He's got some really cool credits. He was in the television series The Twilight Zone from 1985. You mentioned several times because Wes Craven's directed a few episodes. He was in the 1988 The Blob movie. He was in a Christian Bale film and a Disney film called The Newsies. Newsies. Yeah. Yep. He was also in a lot of Stephen King adapted films. He was in the, the Shawshank. Prosecutor yeah. in Shawshank. He was in the X-Files movie. He went on to do some roles in The Green Mile. He was in a Jim Carrey film called The Majestic. He was also in The Mist. Fucking great film. He was in Law and Order, the television series. You might have seen him in another... I was going to say Brad Pitt there. Another Brad Pitt film, Burn After Reading. He was Dale Horvath in the Walking Dead television series. And you might have also seen him in the television series Mob City and Billions. And he also does a lot of stage acting. He's been nominated for a few Tonys. Nice. Hasn't won, but... Yeah, he's a pretty decent actor. I mean... You probably don't get to see or too much here. for one Tony, but he's won some other like drama awards. So. Nice. Yeah, I mean, he's got a really cool body of work, so kudos to him. Now, I've got a few others I want to mention. I have John M. Jackson. He plays Sergeant Star. Now, I want to point out who a lot of these people are once we get into the squeal section, because you can kind of get lost with some of these troopers. So Sergeant Star, he starred in the film The Legend of Billy Jean. It's a 1980s film. It has Yearly Smith and Christian Slater in it. He was also in Sid and Nancy. You might have seen him in A Few Good Men. He was in the television series Jag, Bones, and NCIS Los Angeles. Along with him, I have Billy Greenbush. Now, he was in a lot of films that involved motorcycles okay. early on throughout his career, so that's part of the reason why he got cast in this. But he was in films such as Five Easy Pieces, which stars Jack Nicholson. He was in a film heavily involving motorcycles in a film called The Jesus Trip. You might have seen him in a Chris Christopherson film called Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. He was also in the film The River. You might have seen him in the horror film Critters. He was in Elvis's 1990 television series. And he also had an appearance in Jason Goes to Hell, the final, the final Friday. Friday. Yeah, that was kind of cool. All right, the next actor I have is Jack Thibault. He is Trooper Prestone. His bodies of work include roles in Apocalypse Now. He was in Escape from Alcatraz, Any Which Way You Can, another S.E. Hinton film. Well, I should say story that got adapted into film. The film Tex. He was in 48 Hours, Lethal Weapon, and Action Jackson. Hey, Danny, would you kindly bring up Armin Shimmerman? Oh, next? I wrote, I know who he is. Would you yes. kindly? I sure will. For a very good reason. A lot of reasons, especially if you play video games. <laughs> so, Armin Shimmerman, he is the interrogation sergeant in this film. Now, before I start getting into some of maybe his voice acting, I'll mention some of his roles that you've seen him in. Now, he was in Stooge Mania, which is based off the Three Stooges. He was in a Dudley Moore and a Kirk Cameron film from the 1980s, like Father Like Son. He was also... In the 1980s television series Beauty and the Beast as Pascal, you might have seen him in Star Trek The New Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and he was also in the movie Insurrection. He was also Principal Snyder in Buffy the Vampire Slayer television series. He did have a couple of um, episodes where he was in Tremors, the television series. He was in Boston Legal, the television series. And now we can start talking about some of his voice acting. 
And he's Andrew Ryan in Bioshock. Pretty awesome. I loved the game Jade Empire from Bioware. It was sort of their follow-up to Knights of the Old Republic, but maybe not as well-remembered since it wasn't tied to Star Wars. He was the Emperor Sun High. Nice. And as far as some later Bioware, he was the Solarian Councilman in the first Mass Effect. No, he also lent his voice in the video game God of War 2 as a translator number two. You might have heard him voice some characters such as General Scar, Stomach, and Scar's mom, and the grim adventures of Bill and Mandy. Did we mention that he lent his voice in Mass Effect as Fade Dan? You did in mm-hmm. Solarian Counselor, yeah. He was Dr. Nefarious in Ratchet & Clank video games. I mean, he was also in the Marvel Ultimate Alliance as the Green Goblin. I mean, and he's doing like Diablo 3, sort of the Atom. And you just keep looking, and it's more video games, and it's more television series, mostly like cartoons and stuff like that. So it's kind of neat. Yeah, he was also in the regular show as Dr. Henry, Nightmare Alien, Waiter, some other characters. So Uncle Grandpa. <laughs> this is pretty funny. Yeah, Justice League action shorts, Zillia Socks. So yeah, he has like just a few minutes in this film, but has a really cool body of work. Some of the other cast I have are Gene Davis. He plays Trooper Dodge. He was in a film I mentioned several times. It ties back into The Exorcist. I know I mentioned earlier with Bill Gold. And the reason why is he was in a film called Cruising. Right? And the inspiration behind... Which we've brought up. Yeah, Pacino's character was based off the guy in The Exorcist. Like an extra, so... We're tie-in. Now, he's also in the film 10 to Midnight. I believe he plays the main antagonist. Excuse me. He's in a horror movie I really like that we've talked about doing at some point, 1997's The Relic. Yeah, dude. He was in Universal Soldier, and also he was in The Messenger of Death, which I think he was in a couple Charles Bronson films, if I'm not mistaken. The next actor I have is John Van Ness. He plays Trooper Hapscomb. He does get kicked upside the head in a particular scene in this film. You might have seen him in the 19... I think it's 1980 film, Taurus Trap, which is a horror film. He was in the film Brubaker. He played in the film Ruckus. Another film called X-Ray. The Postman Always Rings Twice. He was in a Robert Redford film called The Natural. You might have seen him in Alligator 2, The Mutation. He was... In an episode of a television series we mentioned a couple times, he was in Supernatural, and the episode was Bad Day at Black Rock. He played Creedy on that particular episode. The next actor I have, and the final actor I have, is Henry Darrow. He plays Trooper Hancock. Now, you might have seen his work in The High Chaparral, the television series. He was in Hawaii Five-0. You might have also seen him in the old Wonder Woman television series. He was also... A legendary character, and that character is Don Diego Zorro. Don Diego de la Vega. He was the very first Latino to actually play Zorro. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? In Zorro and Son. Yeah, he was the, of course, lead in The New Adventures of Zorro from 1981. Reprised his role in 1983's Zorro and Son, you just mentioned. He was also in... Or hey. first Latino to play Zorro on television. There might have been somebody in one of the movies in the movie, before yeah, then, I considering how long Zorro's been It's been around been for around. a long time. He was in Santa Barbara, the television series. And the only reason I bring that up is because Stairmaster 2, from the people under the stairs, was in that. He starred in that. So that was worth mentioning. He also was in the 1990 through 1993 television series Zorro. 
and he also made an appearance in the film Maverick. So that rounds out my cast. That rounds out the crew. We gave a synopsis. I just want to point out that one of the other troopers was also a stuntman in Dracula, Con Air, uh, and Waterworld. Yeah. I know which actor you're talking about, too. Is it another trooper? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jay Epper. Yeah. Or I know which one. I might have just fucked up his first name. But I know his which last one you're talking Epper. about. Anyway. There's like two or three other people, and it's mostly just little side roles, but... Yeah, there's some pretty interesting people given their brief time on film in this film. Let's see. Uh, are we on to the warnings? We are, and we should give plenty of warnings in this one. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of gore. There is. A little bit of gore, um, some violence. Oh, well, it's, just, it's a pretty fucking violence. disturbing movie, though. We said it's a game of cat and mouse, and this is truly the cat dragging out the game as wow. long as possible. No kidding. So there's a lot of implied things to keep that in mind. I don't know, if you're not a big fan of long stretches of road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, long stretches of road. You like say cat and mouse games. Language. Yeah, there's language. I mean people get killed. It's not the most graphic, but there's There some is some implied child child violence too, I have yeah. to mention probably. Mm, I'm trying to think of anything else. Lots of guns, lots Otherwise, of explosions. I mean, I would say the type of terror that this movie creates would be like don't watch this if you don't like like home invasion style horror. Yeah, that's this feels a lot like that, even though it's out on the road. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. There's a lot of suspense. Yeah, I guess let's get into it. Let's, yeah, let's squeal. Squeal. God, what's happening to me? Oh God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what? What's going on? Oh Jesus, come on! Oh my God, what's what's going on? Where, where am I? Oh gee, why, why? Come on, somebody, somebody! Ah, come on, come on, come on! Come on, somebody! Sir, come on, somebody, somebody's there! Somebody's gotta be there! I will shock you! Come on, sir, come on, sir! You must listen to me, sir. I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? Yay. So we get the squeal. So this is our spoiler section. So spoilers so all ahead. goes. All goes. All right. So as you already pointed out at the beginning, this was another one that we didn't know what we were going to do going in. The funny thing was, you were the one that suggested it. However, I was mere seconds away from suggesting it nice. for completely different reasons. Okay. You already like the movie. Yeah, I've seen this a long time I've been ago. meaning to watch it for a long time. And I thought that that was the perfect excuse to make myself watch it yeah, this week. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm glad you did. So I was going to suggest it anyway. You probably remember me agreeing right away as yeah, I was soon like, as wow, you suggested that was, it. That was cool. <laughs> I was like, I, I was thinking about some of the runs we had done, and I was like, man, this is one, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to sneak in at some point. Perfect opportunity to do it now. And like you said, another one you hadn't seen before. Oh, and I guess, long story super short, I did really, really, really enjoy this movie. Much like a lot of other movies that I really enjoy, I just thought of ways that I'd like to see it again. But. Yeah, it's understandable. <laughs> well, you know, we've made mention, too, in the past, if a movie makes you think outside the box and, you know, in, in ways where you can enhance it or go further with it, etc., it's like then, in most cases, that movie's already done its job. Yeah, this movie seems like it's a great platform for ideas i would honestly love to, i mean i wrote down i think there's like four different versions of this movie that i would like to see done again yeah <laughs> and probably for good reasons maybe more at least three 
We'll go into those in a minute. Okay. So we didn't mention that probably the biggest draw for anybody who's familiar with his body of work is Rutger Hauer. So I'd imagine that was a huge inspiration oh, for watching this too. Some hobo with a shotgun. So yeah, and same thing. We talked about Blade Runner. That's a film I grew up watching. Blind Fury is one of those films I grew up watching just because of cables in the '80s and '90s. And so I was already familiar with them. And this is another film I grew up watching for the main reason that it was on HBO in the 80s and 90s. So I had access to that. And being a product at that time period, I was watching a bunch of shit I probably shouldn't have been. And this is definitely one of those. So it stuck a chord at a young age. And I just figured, why not, man? This is a good one to revisit. So, okay, you mentioned HBO, and it was partially produced by HBO. I yes. think there was like some deal with TriStar that they I think had, you're right. the they had to. to distribute it. Right. It did play in theaters, kind of a limp. I can't remember how what the run was, but... I think during that time period, it probably didn't get a release like it would today. But yeah, I would imagine it was like a limited run. In theaters, was it full ratio? If you, like... Oh, First off, you were pointing off, like, this doesn't have a Blu-ray release? Does this not have a Blu-ray release? Not a proper, no, not at all. It has a DVD release, and it's pretty much... What's the ratio on the DVD release? Because, okay, so I watched (sighs) it on HBO Go, your HBO Go. I did too, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it was 4 to 3. It looked like a fucking TV show. Yeah, I know what you mean. Whatever, I got used to it while I was watching it. But it felt like it shouldn't have been presented that way. No. And that's a good point that you bring out mm. because the director wanted this. And he did shoot this, and of course, in 35 millimeter. It was shot in the, the widescreen you know, version. He said it was the 2, 3, 5 to 1 ratio, which is an anamorphic widescreen. And the reason why is because he wanted to make the landscape the focal point of this film. And make the characters in the film feel like just figures walking along the landscape. So keep that in mind. If you do watch the film in a different aspect ratio than when it was filmed, it's going to feel a little off. And whatever. Like, I didn't own a fucking widescreen TV till I was, like, in my 20s anyway. So, yeah. like, I grew up watching 4 to 3, but now pretty noticeable. It certainly is. After um, so many films we've watched. And as we pointed out, the cinematographer on this movie... Is really fucking good. Yes, he is. So I'm kind of starving to see this movie in widescreen. And I do think it would add something to it. Not just like you said, like figures moving across a screen, but to sort of increase almost the terror a little bit of how alone they are. Yes, in this wide <clears throat> landscape. There are some shots, and I believe the version that I watched, I did torrent a version because I like to take... BLC snapbacks, but anyway, <laughs> the version I watched, I believe it was in widescreen because you could feel some of that landscape, you know, overtaking okay. the characters in this film. Like if the DVD release has widescreen, then I'll just have to go check that out someday. Yeah, but I believe because I of didn't do that much research. Yeah, Sorry. licensing rights and things like that. I think that's part of the reason why it hasn't had a formal release yet, as far as like you know a Blu-ray copy or a 4K restoration. But keep our fingers crossed. This film is. Fucking 32 years old, man. Well, not just that, but, I mean, you saw the critical dissonance of this movie. Oh, for sure, yeah. Ebert gave it a flat-out zero? Both of those guys, fucking, they did not like this film at all. And it's funny because... This movie gets a lot of hate from the critics. Some of the Mandela effect happened on these people because a lot of the implied scenes that they refer to, as far as, like, the gory bits and... The things they can't help. Yeah, there's like hardly any gore in this movie. A lot of it's left to the imagination. 
unfortunately left to the imagination. Exactly. There's some really good behind the scenes stories about some of that shit and having to try to get the ratings down. And, Makes perfect sense. Because, and, not just, and to get the time yeah. down from the fucking original Gosh, three hours. 90 <laughs> minute cut. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't a 190 minute cut. But, but no, that was, you know, like we had talked about it, had the as screenplay you're the translated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they did have to narrow it down, of course, for a theatrical release. And a lot of things got cut out as far as more gory bits, more scenes of just harrowing shit, you know. So I guess that's a good place to start into. That's one of the things I would love to see of this movie is a version that's not the remake that apparently is fucking terrible. Yeah, and I believe the one that we're talking about is Sean Sean Bean. Bean Yeah, and and, uh, who was it? Sophia Bush and... And, and Jake uh, Busey? Jake Busey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Starship Troopers, Jake Busey. Oh, uh, yeah. He's not bad. No, no, he's not bad. PCU's Jake Busey, too. That's a good film. <laughs> but one that harkens closer to the original script. There is some decent effects earlier in this movie with, like, the finger and, like, the dog and the dead body and the police. Like, there is. There's some really I good practical feel effects. feel like we should have saw Nash's death. That would have been... Probably one of those in the that, old school effects. Yeah, that would have really catapulted this film into a different kind of categorization. Because I know the O seven shows the death, even though I think it's Jim that gets killed that way. Right, the, the character. Yeah, exactly. They um, reverse the roles. But I feel like we kind of deserve to see that. They wanted to. You know, we were kind of alluding to that fact, and you know, a lot of the studio heads were like, "If you do that, <laughs> you're like we're not going to fund this shit. If you do that." And not only that, but there are parts in this film, too, where it could have landed it in X rating, you know, and that was pretty much a death knell in those times. And apparently the original script was a lot more noirish as well, and there was mm. sort of elements of noir in this cut, but yeah. not very heavily. No. And I think that could be really interesting to play with as well, just like, like a super explicit noir it could be. It's one of those tales because it's told in a desert and it has these really creepy elements, suspenseful elements. Yeah, it'd be fun. One film I haven't seen, but I don't know if there's parallels. I kind of feel like there might. I felt like a little bit of this with Rutger Hauer's character, John Ryder. I know it's an allegory for pure evil, right? It's a man with no name kind of shows up out of nowhere. But there's a film called dust devil that i'm kind of curious about it has a little bit of that element same kind of setting this evil force that appears so i think they wanted to play with a little bit maybe not necessarily in that bent but kind of like a gaunt ghastly he was apparently supposed to have a voice box the original that was one of the ideas thrown around yeah and oh my god the list imagine that the list of actors that were being thrown around to possibly play the part was also amazing yeah did you Uh, you want to mention a few of those yeah i I know two of them right off the top of my head so sam elliott okay that'd be fun that wasn't the one that jumped out at me though i'm trying to remember there was terrence stamp was another that's the one that jumped out at me terrence stamp would have been pretty insane in this role yeah he's a really interesting british actor and i do know the reason why he turned down this role is he said during that time period in his acting career, he didn't really want to go down that path with that character because of what it represented. And so he's like, no, I'm going to have to turn it down. Now, Sam Elliott, he did audition, and he was initially going to get the part, right? And the executive producer on this film, Ed Feldman, 
said that his portrayal as John Ryder, I'm talking about Elliot here, he said it was so scary that he was afraid to go to his car, right, in the same, you know, I guess lot, but he said he turned it down at the 11th hour and they wanted to do Rutger Hauer. The part was written with Keith Richards yes. in mind. Yes, and that was kind of lending to that skeletal, gaunt kind of figure. David Bowie yeah, and Sting were Sting. both considered. Some interesting names, yeah. As well as Sam Shepard. That would have been pretty cool. So, did you see the list for the role of Halsey? Oh, I did. Like Matthew Modine. That would have been neat. Uh, it... Tom Cruise. Yeah, and Charlie Sheen. And Emilio Estevez. Well, they're brothers, so yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> no, I could have seen Estevez in a way, because during that time period, he was in some pretty interesting and cultish films. I mean, uh, what year is Maximum Overdrive? Ooh, that's an early one. Because this like would that. have fit in with that. Yeah, and if you're familiar with Repo Men, that's like, that movie's on a whole different level than both these films. Mm-hmm. And he was known for that kind of stuff. I mean, honestly, I think Estevez would have been my go. I would have this. done. Yeah. I, I'm, I love I, Estevez. I like the idea of Estevez in this. Young Tom Cruise could have been interesting in this. I think probably for him. In, I don't think I would have liked it, though. No. I think part it, of the reason is because of the it's outsiders, It's an interesting maybe. thought experiment now. <laughs> I would be but curious. But I don't think it would have been as good. <laughs> no. I don't think he's that kind of actor. I mean, not discredit him, but this is a different type of film. And that's even with C. Thomas Howell maybe not doing the best job throughout this entire no. movie. No. Well, what's interesting about this, and I got to see a little documentary I think I mentioned to you, and it's kind of interesting hearing it from, you know, of course, him being a little bit older. He talked about the fact that, like, he had never really done a serious film before. I mean, as far as, like, a role. And because he got the part and he, you know, he liked the script and all that stuff, he's like, man, I really have to learn how to act, not only for the film, but just... For my career. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so he said he was interested, and of course he was thrilled with the prospects of working with Rucker Howard, Jesus. Jennifer Jason Lee, and all these other people. And he said he really had to step his game up. And he was only like 18, 19 at the time of filming. Because, well, well, I mean, at this point, yeah, you're getting to work with Rutger Hauer when Blade Runner was two years before, something like that. Let's like, see. Blade Runner probably came out, well, I'm trying to think, early 80s, something like that. Yeah. So it would have been out for a few years, but, I mean, he would have been a teenager, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a kid. So, yeah, that's some big chops to have to fill. And being the main protagonist of this film, he has to keep it up. Yeah, he falls flat a couple times. Overall, I couldn't find much fault. There's, I didn't write anything specifically down because he no, wasn't. He wasn't that anything. bad. No. He wasn't so bad. I had to write something yeah. down. I just, there are some parts where it, you can feel it, but to his credit, I mean, he carried the movie pretty decent, man. I think he did a pretty good job. Yeah. So you mentioned about Ryder kind of being like pure evil. Yes. That was two of the other. I want this movie remade five, six different ways. Yeah. Two of the other ways. And this is kind of maybe not hinted at in the movie, but I think it's one way of reading it. It's purgatory. Jack Ryder's the devil. I could totally see that. Except have, make it more explicit. Uh, what I think is kind of interesting. Or at some point make it more explicit, yeah. at least to the audience. And it will make kind of sense, too, if you play with that aspect of it. Also, by the way, let's point out right now that Ryder wins in the end. Oh, yeah. That's what he wanted the whole time. That's what he wanted. Or maybe not the whole time. But up to the point, I guess, he met the kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'd say, yeah, at the end end of the first act, which is about 30 minutes into the movie, is when C. Thomas Howell, like, kicks him out. Yeah. And it's when he survives that first time, he's like, okay, well, now here we go. Here's the real game. That's the real game. And 
I'm glad you brought that up. There's a line that gets said right before he knocks him out the car. <laughs> There's a huge line. The whole point is that John Ryder wants Jim Halsey to say that he wants to die. And because the kid didn't want to die, that was like, all right, now there's a huge game to play. I was immediately like, oh, that's kind of saw. Yeah. Want to play a game? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of neat. Along the supernatural bent where this is purgatory and he's the devil, Mm -hmm. which I think is a valid interpretation of this movie. It could be, yeah. Even without like remaking it to be explicitly that way. Yeah. Especially because the beginning of the story sort of starts with him being jolted awake by this really near miss. Yeah. It's like, damn. Yeah, he's falling asleep. And there's the even wheel. like this weird quick cut and shit. And, jolt. and, yeah. and it's jolting and he died there. Now he's in I was about to say, I was almost going to bring this that up. This is fucking, well, this isn't a Jacob's Ladder sequence. He's straight up dead and this is purgatory. This isn't his last thoughts. This is... He's trapped there on that highway. <laughs> yeah. But along with the supernatural bent of Ryder being the devil... And Rutger Hauer has suggested this himself in an interview before. How about he's just a bored, shitty ghost. And that's what Haunting this stretch of highway. Which also kind of makes sense, because otherwise you can kind of rip apart this movie with how people get certain places. Exactly. And, And, you know, the cool thing about it, and I like that too, is the writer, the director, pretty much everybody involved in the film, they're like... It's not really a literal tell. It's one of those where you play a little bit with it. It has all these different elements that you're talking about in this film. You just have to use your imagination a little bit. That's right. Honestly, especially from like the halfway point of this movie on, if you want to rip this movie apart, oh, it's, it's easy to not do. hard to do. No. There's a lot of inconsistencies if you're really looking for them. There are. But... By that point in the movie, it had already sold me on Rutger Hauer essentially being, to reference another movie we've done, Henry. Where Henry is basically, it's being presented as real, but there's no way it's real. It's basically Henry's fantasies. Yeah, and that makes sense. It's like an exaggeration. It's like the super, yeah, it's the exaggerated version. It's like if everything's going perfectly according to plan, this is what happens. And I feel like that's wholeheartedly what they're probably playing a little bit with. It's just, you know, there's room to exaggerate (laughs) for the main reason, too, is, you know, they had to whittle down this script and make things kind of flow. So by the, yeah, so by the time inconsistencies start happening, I was already sold. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is, to me, it's (laughs) Henry-ish. So one of the things I want to mention, it involves video games, and the reason why I talked about in the Guts and Bolts there's an actor who lent his voice to video games. It's not necessarily because of him. I mentioned there's a lot of car chases. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of gunplay. There's a lot of unrealistic scenarios that get played out in the desert. But the reason I bring up video games is I was wondering how much Grand Theft Auto was influenced by this movie because of crashes and explosions and... So right Killing here, cops. right here in my notes, <laughs> Ryder is like Far Cry or GTA. Nice, see, yeah. Which so, I wrote while he was shooting down the fucking helicopter with a pistol. Yeah, exactly. Now, here is something else I mentioned in the Guts and Bolts that ties into that helicopter scene. I mentioned Jennifer Jason Lee's father is Vic Morrow. Ooh, which is a really sad story. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, was that on the Twilight Zone movie where he died in a helicopter crash? And there's a helicopter crash in this film, and she's in this film. 
I don't think it was done for, you know, of course, for that purpose, but it's just a weird, unfortunate coincidence. So helicopter crashes. There's a lot of car flips and crashes and cops getting killed in this film. Some people are like, is this a cop hating film? It's like, not necessarily. I think they're just victims of circumstance. It's like an everybody hating film. Pretty yeah, much everybody in this movie is kind of No prejudice, dicks. really, when you think about it. Yeah. It's just like, you're going to get sliced and diced. Now, I will say this. The cops do have kind of that derelict bent where they're mm-hmm. just, you know, power hungry. <laughs> oh, I wanted to pop back to the purgatory angle real okay. quick. Because I forgot. I do have a couple little offshoot notes yeah, no, that I, like I, that. I completely forgot about. One of the things that sort of hints at that, when fucking C. Thomas Howell asks him in the diner later on when he has the empty gun, mm-hmm. who he is, and he just leans in and puts the pennies on the eyes. Yeah, that's kind of a harrowing sequence. Where you're like, oh, he's dead. He's trying that's to tell you. That's what you would think, yeah. yeah. And that's symbolic for the river sticks and having to pay the price. So here's the other thing, though. Throughout the movie... One of the things that Rudker Hauer seems to be trying to teach C. Thomas Howell is that if a certain outcome seems inevitable anyway, then you have nothing to lose by at least trying to do something. Yeah, that's a very early quote that he gives him, too. And it's kind of reinforced at least like two or three other times throughout the movie. I feel like there is a lot of foreshadowing in this film, if you pay attention to some of the mm-hmm. details, yeah. But if that's the case... And he's the devil, and this is purgatory, and C. Thomas Howell essentially fails by giving in and killing him. Then what was he supposed to do in the Nash scenario? Good point, yeah. Because it seems like he doesn't quite handle it the perfect way, but he doesn't completely give in to the devil either. He tamps him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point, man. It's hard questions to answer when you think about that scenario in particular too it's like no matter what happened i don't think she was gonna live regardless like he wasn't gonna stop Ryder. that is like you shoot him it's gonna roll they already mentioned that the kid wasn't gonna stop him he wasn't gonna stop himself there's no out was that something that had to happen i think the, the thing was that he didn't try yeah he was reactionary he was one of the ways he could i mean he could have put the bullet in him but then he wins anyway yeah, exactly. It's kind of, like I said, it's one of those dilemmas, you know? Yeah. The problem was is he didn't try until it was too late anyway. Yeah. Man, now, Howard, it's kind of cool listening to some of the you know behind-the-scenes stuff, but he did mention a lot that if you kind of step outside of what Halsey is experiencing, you know, it's like that's kind of what a lot of the direction wants you to feel. You know, it's you want to be in his shoes, but if you look past a lot of his stuff, he said you'll start to catch a lot of things that we're kind of bringing up. Like little tells and, you know, little nods here and there. So I think he and the people behind it, they do like this film kind of being open to interpretation. You know, mm-hmm. That's what I like about this film, too, is that it's not just straightforward. The end itself, it's like, like you were saying, like, was there a lesson to be learned? Is this a person who could be in purgatory? And now what? <laughs> Does it start over? Does it, you know, never ending? Well, another thing that's animated out and apparently was also there in the longer version of the script, but a lot of the stuff that sort of illuminated it a lot more clearly ended up having to be cut, obviously, since we don't have a three-hour movie, was them being in love with each other. Yeah. And I think that's another completely valid way to play it, especially because we've seen, like I said, Hannibal season two and three. 
Yeah, good point. Now, <laughs> there is some fan theory about a lot of homoeroticism in this film, and I can understand that bent. Not that I'm one that totally agrees with it, but I mean, there's a little bit here and there, but I don't think it's intentional. There's a couple things that 100% hint at it, but it's never fully realized in this. No. And that's one of the things, like, I would like to see a version that has it either one way or another. Either it's there or it's not. Yeah, and you're right. It, it does feel super little, interesting if it was there. It could be a little bit of the Graham and Lecter, like you were talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Or like a, oh my god, there's so many ways you could take it. You could do like a weird, weird perversion of like a father-son relationship wow. even. and Could be daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and then the one other way that could be really interesting, that up until like two-thirds of the way into this movie is entirely possible until you see him interact with another character, is that it's himself. Yeah, a reflection. Now, that's a good point too. There are some scenes that involve mirrors, and it's typically with the Halsey character, right? He's the only one that you see looking into mirrors. So it could be a reflection of himself. He's seeing the evil side of himself. It's a struggle, an inner struggle. But that's kind of what I like about this film, too. It's set in a certain time period. What I mean by that, it's like it was filmed in the 80s. But it's also, too, that could be told through timeless periods, really. You know, it's one of those tells that you can interweave throughout time. And with it, the idea of it being simply him, like his evil version or whatever, kind of high tension-y, mm-hmm. I think it fits in with the fact that he seemed shady as fuck when he first showed up to the diner. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. Damn, it's funny, isn't it? I would not have let him in. Smell like gasoline. I would not have let his ass in. Not until he told me more of a story than that. I didn't need to use phone. Let me in. Yeah, that's exactly what you would say. <laughs> that's like, uh, that's clockwork orange shit. I know. I need a little bit more backstory, bro. I need some ID. I need something. I need, yeah, I need some contacts. You are not coming in here. <laughs> I need a profile pic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a good way of looking at it, too. That's a really cool build-up scene, too, of one of the most infamous scenes in this film is the finger food with the french fries. That was actually my next note. Danny, mm-hmm. who do you know? That even if they're zoned out eating french fries, they take a bite of one and put it down. They're not dipping it in anything. No, they're just putting it down. Just puts it down and grabs a completely separate fry after taking a bite of one. Who the fuck eats fries the way... I don't... Yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking about that, too. If you look at that fry that he's eating, both ends have been eaten off, and then he puts it back down, and the next fry... And then just picks up a... It's not a fry. Supposedly another fry, but... yeah. It's the finger. Uh, it and was it's supposed to be an eyeball in the yeah, hamburger. Yeah, the hamburger, exactly. Got but, cut out. Oops. It happens. Now, that is a scene that I do remember as a kid, too, because it's like, man, this is fucked up. And it's also given kind of a hand, too, of like, well, I'll say this. Paying attention to the film, going into that scene and seeing how all that shit gets played out, because he puts his coat down, and he goes in the bathroom and cleans himself off before he comes mm-hmm. back out, and she, you know, she cooked him the meal. That could have been the time period, of course, where he puts the blade in and all that other shit. Oh, that's definitely the time he puts the blade in. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of those you have to pay attention to. But I was going to say, that's another place where you can start noticing inconsistencies, because no matter what their setup is at that diner, there's no way in in 10 minutes either that all of his shit got that clean. (laughs) It's smelling like gas and all that shit, Yeah. yeah. Because they, they imply that bath. not much time has went by. Yeah, you're right. For I mean, her to honestly, this whole movie fries. takes place in probably under 12 hours. Yeah, from the point of the hitchhiker hitching the ride with him to the conclusion, yeah, it couldn't have been more than half a day, a day at tops. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of shit that happens in this film. Yeah, and so he does not have time. Yeah, I know what you're saying, and that's kind of a neat thing too about this is is the spatial time in this. That lends a hand to what you're talking about. Purgatory. Yeah, where it's just kind They're of it, it knows no bound. Time doesn't have bound there. I don't know. Some of the things I'd like to talk about, maybe perhaps just a little bit, is the music in this too, the score, mm-hmm. and the fact that the guy who wrote this, the score that is, is kind of neat. The director had like seen a, a film he had done, liked the score in that, called his agent, the agent contact with him, and they basically just sat down and had conversations and hired him on the spot. And he said because of the advent of home tape, VHS, beta, whatever. He said that he got a copy of the film, and he had some synthesized keys and a computer, just loaded the tracks. He said he would sit back, watch the film, see how it felt as an audience member to his own score. And, then, you know, later on they went in the studio and shit. But it's during that time period in the 80s, known for synthesized music. And this one has a very haunting score. It's not one that is overbearing, you know what I mean? It fits with the whole plot that happens, you know, whether it's the action sequences or just the kind of surreal kind of i don't know ominous presence and stuff like that it has a really unsettling tone to it but i enjoy it that's what i'm getting at it it's one of those that makes me think specifically of this time period and watching hbo films oh fuck when you're talking about him being just soaked in gas it did remind me that earlier on in the gas station before he gets soaked Mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite things in the movie when rutger howard just shows up with his keys. And tosses him his keys yeah. to be like, look what I could have done. You got to try harder than that. Easy as that. Easy peasy. Yeah, dude. That, that was, was that was chilling. That is. It's very chilling. He's in an abandoned gas station, and those fucking pigeons fly out. There's a little bit of a goof from the handler. You can see him oh. like kind of shuffling him out. <laughs> but that's beside the point, is that you know damn well nothing in that fucking gas station's working. It hasn't been working for who knows how long. But after that, after he throws him the keys and then he hitches the ride and gets the truck, that's where it made me feel like he's that dust devil supernatural presence. You know, it's like he kind of sweeps and comes and goes as he pleases. Yeah. He's just there to fuck with the kid the whole time. You're Which, right. At that this is point, scary, man. at that point, it still also works that it's just the kid in his head. Yeah. It very well could be. Like he's losing his shit. There's a lot of parts in this film. Which, yeah, I, I want to see the Fight Club version of this, basically. <laughs> Tyler I want to see the high ten- I want to see the high-tension version of this. I did want to give props to this movie for whenever they shot shotguns, it was pellets. Nice. The bullet holes that appeared. Uh, I don't know if you actually noticed. I definitely did. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> now, there is one scene in particular, and we've already kind of talked about it, that could have been very, very harmful, could have been deadly. There is a scene... Where C. Thomas Howell and Jennifer Jason Lee are in one of the cop cars, and they're being followed by two other cop cars out on that highway. Right. And they pull alongside of him, he slams on the brakes, and you know, they shoot the tires out, and the flips happen. Well, the cool thing about that is they were using what they call an insert camera car with a mounted camera on the side. So, you know, they could boom it up and down. So, you get these kind of neat sequences. Right. Now, they were saying that as that was happening, you know, once he slams on the brakes, they filmed it from the back of the vehicle, kind of raised the camera over the top, followed the others while they were wrecking. They said that one of the cars kept sliding and it was slowing down faster than the insert car that was trailing it. And it got in its lane. And they had people mounted on the front of the <laughs> oh, insert car and people on the roof. Mm-hmm. 
you know, of course, the driver and all that shit. So they said that they the driver, yeah, the driver basically had to make a split decision, you know, maneuver. Otherwise, there could have been multiple deaths for that shot. And the DP talked about it, and the producer talked about it. He's like, you know, we never want anybody to get hurt. It's not worth it for filmmaking. But he said during that time period, no matter how well you prepare for stuff, there was always going to be glitches. I mean, Rucker Howard knocked out one of his teeth with the shotgun jumping through the windshield of that Dodge oh. Ram. He's like, yeah, they had to airlift me to like uh, some little town and so he can get his Jeez. teeth fixed. Yeah. Uh, I was going like to say, that. he also did his own stunt driving. He did. There was an interesting story about the gas explosion scene and how he came out of the garage. He said that the stunt drivers were trying to pull that maneuver off. They weren't getting it right. And Howard was watching. He's just like, he told the director or the DP, he's like, all right, I want you to roll film. And he said, yeah, we started rolling film. He came out of the garage. He made this power slide and ran right into the gas pumps and just kept driving. And he said that the stunt driver's mouth dropped when he did that shit. So he knew what he was doing, apparently. He did a lot of the driving in this movie. He did a lot of kind of neat stuff with handkerchiefs, too, which kind of lends a little bit to that cruising, well, if you know about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of weird... There's a lot of awesome weirdness in this movie that, yeah. I mean, you could make... Obviously, it was cut down from yeah, a script that was that twice lot, as yeah. long. That's the thing. There's a lot of ideas in this. I really like that. Um, and that's partially why you're able to critically rip it apart if you want to, because it is a lot of half-formed ideas. But it's being done by an amazing actor. Wow. No um, kidding. With some amazing filming. Even with the 4-3, this was a really well-done movie. I really enjoy it, man. It's one of those two... It's set in those places where you feel like you're stuck no matter where you go. No matter where you run, he's fucking there. All the way up to the end. (laughs) One of the other things that they had to change towards the end for the rating. I do feel like that's an... Yeah, I do feel like that's another thing that in the original, I think it would have hammered home the point that Ryder wins more if he just walks up and fucking pumps one into him while he's on the ground. Yeah. I mean... I think a lot of people, movie viewers especially, they were like, fucking shoot him already. And right? him already. Yeah. But no. And when you first walked up to him, I, I full on thought, I was like, oh, because I was following the story thread, I was like, oh, he just won. You know, he's going to go up and he's going to make sure, like, he has turned into, I mean, it's like fucking uh, Seven. He has turned into Wrath. Like, yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of really cool aspects that they're playing on there. It's like he's caressing the hair with the shotgun and turns around until he gets up and has to waste them. Here's my one other grand takeaway from this movie, really. Yeah. I think I've actually blown through most of the rest of my notes, which is kind of impressive, because I did take a lot, actually. No worries. But my grand takeaway is I might have to start counting Rutger Hauer amongst my favorite cinematic representations of DC Comics' The Joker. Oh, damn. If you think about this movie, he basically plays the Joker, most of the time is just trying to get Batman to like have that one bad day. You know what I mean? The, trying to get him to snap, trying to get him, him to up. kill him. I mean, that was what he was trying to do in all of the Dark Knight. Very good way of looking at it. And this is complete with the death trap with Nash, just like you would get in the fucking like 1960s series. You get fucking death traps, and the hero has to try to figure out a way to beat it. And this hero failed because C. Thomas Howell is no Batman. No, not even close. 
But this is like the Joker testing out a Batman. Like, okay, you've proved you can survive against me. So now it's up to me to fucking push to show you that you're no better than me. You like they're on a a level playing field. That's really cool, man. That's a good way of looking at it. And that's kind of the interesting thing about a lot of stories in general when you have, you know, protagonists, antagonists, arch nemesis, stuff like that. It's typically not always, but typically about inner struggles or split personalities, etc. And this film is probably no exception to that rule. Yeah, I guess I've said it a couple times now, but my takeaway from this movie is I love it because of all of its multiple parts. Uh, Some of them might only be half-formed, but they're there enough to make me think of them. And then with the acting being on point, it just makes this movie super enjoyable for me. Yeah, I like I said, I'm glad that you wanted to do this. And it was one of those, like, we didn't have a struggle trying to figure out what we wanted to do. It was like, yeah, fuck yeah. So I'm glad that we got to cover it. Now, before I sign off on this one, mm-hmm. there are a few things I want to bring up, maybe oh, trivia-wise sure. and whatnot. But Just because I believe it through my notes doesn't mean yeah. you have to be done with yours. <laughs> no. One of the few things, you know, amongst a couple, I suppose, you know, I talked about the score. There are certain cues in this film, too. You talked about the under-the-table gun sequence. Or Howard, I, like, I thought that was kind of clever. He puts his finger up to the barrel and... Just kind of knocks his hand up underneath the table and freaks the kid out. Yeah, and then it leads to the pennies. There's the dream Which, sequence. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. If we're going homoerotic, then that was docking like fuck. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was. I don't even know if they knew what docking was back then. <laughs> I don't know. We should I, look it up. <laughs> we don't have to explain. Look it oh up. Oh, my God. I hadn't even thought about that until right now. It's kind of oh, neat, There is it? a lot of weird homoerotic subtext there to is. this I mean, movie. he spits in his face. He looks it up. One of the scenes I think is and kind of funny. And not that being homoerotic is weird. I'm just saying. No, that, like, it's just something to point in out. In this movie, the way it's presented is extremely creepy. Which There's one scene in particular that almost spells it out by a character, side character. Oh, towards the very end, there's something weird going on with you guys. I don't know what it is. No, but... I think even before that, it's kind of more blatant, is they're riding up to this construction stop. Oh, that's early enough in the movie, though, that it can still be spelt out as, like, like just All right, a... sweethearts, <laughs> roads open. Yeah. But you're right, even that, Captain Estridge, there's something weird going on with you, too. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it could be spelled out. There's a little bit of a parallel, which, that was kind of neat. And the parallel is right there, almost along the same sequence, is Howard, when he's in the bus, and he's looking over at, like, these fucking guards are aimlessly doing, you know, card tricks and shit. He looks at the holster where the pistol's at, and Jim Halsey, C. Thomas Howell, he does the same thing with them. So there's that parallel there that, you know... Checking out their weapon. Checking out their weapon. Not only that, but it makes you think maybe he it is... Checking out their handheld phallic device. Yeah. Go grab it. <laughs> grab it. Shoot me. <laughs> uh, but there is a kind of a unique dynamic there. Yeah, just watching a little bit, like I said, of the behind-the-scenes stuff, how these people got involved with the project itself, the time period it was shot in. It's one of those stories we had mentioned. It's open to interpretation. It's one of those platform type of films, too. You can go in a lot of different directions. Some have tried. Many have failed, fortunately. But I really enjoy this, man. I'm glad we took that trip back down memory lane. Oh, uh, that was something else I was going to ask you. Yeah. Have you ever hitchhiked? Oh, that's, that's a great question, considering we're fucking... No, actually, I haven't, making a long story short, but here's the thing. I was talking to my dad, because he was in town this weekend, and I mentioned the film, you know, that we're doing, and 
He's like, hell, I used to be the hitcher. <laughs> you know, without all the kill. Well, maybe, I don't know. Uh, without all the killing and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, back in, I guess, probably for him, late 60s, early 70s, I mean, it's how you get around on the coast. But this was during a time period in that quote, essentially. I mean, that probably scared off everybody across the country from ever thinking about hitchhiking. Well, okay, I suppose more in line with this movie, I should have asked, have you ever picked up a hitchhiker? I've been in the car where somebody has, okay. and my dad has picked up people. And strangely enough, my grandfather at one night, and that kind of that was the one time where I kind of like, oh, this is fucked up. But it wasn't. It wasn't. It was just like he knew the guy because he was like a neighborhood kind of person. Let's see. I think I've been in two cars where a hitchhiker was picked up. I've hitchhiked once, not too far. It was from Butte to here. Mm-hmm. What I am going to say about hitchhiking: most of the time, who you get picked up by. Is not C. Thomas Howell. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's probably the Howard. Oh, character. wait, wait, wait. I'm going to say most of the time about hitchhiking after saying that I've only done it once myself. Yeah. My little brother's actually hitchhiked a number of times. It's uh, still not uncommon. I couldn't tell you the exact number. I can tell you more than two. So that means at least three. But then I also have an old roommate that's hitchhiked across the United States. Yeah. Uh, he just got done hitchhiking across Europe. Well, that's pretty cool. That'd be different. Goddamn. Uh, I know some people with a bit of experience in this. Yeah. Who you tend to get picked up by, especially around here at least, and in the remote places like out in the desert like they were, is uh, truckers. I can see that. Because they want someone to talk to. And that kind of lends its hand to this film, too. He was just trying to stay awake. Needed somebody to talk to. Yeah, I was over in Butte visiting a friend. Makes sense. My best friend from high school, his wife at the time was uh, giving birth to their first child. I kind of wanted to be there. He kind of wanted me there. I went over there. However, she was in labor for a bit longer than anticipated. Oh, wow. That probably sucked for her. It also sucked for me because my ride home kind of fell through. Oh, damn. (laughs) And I had to get my ass back to work. And because of staffing situation and the importance of it was getting pretty close to Thanksgiving time and it was all still working at Kmart and I was needed to help change to like the Black Friday ad. Yeah. If I wouldn't have made it back to work, I probably would have lost my job. Damn. So, that's, got, that's harrowing within itself. So my buddy popped away from the hospital just long enough to drop me off like four miles outside Butte. Mm-hmm. And I started thumbing it. Not actually putting my thumb out. Apparently, it's soliciting for the ride that's illegal, and cops will leave you alone for the most part if you're just walking and people offer out of the kindness of their hearts. Oh, dang. So, yeah, that's semantics. (laughs) Right. And I probably walked for... uh, The furthest I walked was two miles, but I want to say it was closer to just, just over a mile before I got picked. Oh, no, it was... I take that back. I remember... No. Yeah, yeah. I probably walked about two miles. (laughs) But then I got picked up by a trucker. That's pretty cool. Younger guy, a few years older than me. He was tired of listening to conspiracy theories on the radio. (laughs) Yeah. So we just sat there and bullshitted for the entire way to Missoula. He ended up deciding fucking he had enough and he was going to spend the night in Missoula anyway. Yeah. And when he dropped me off, he was like, fuck, dude, I I just really want to thank you for, like, me not having to, like, listen to the fucking radio this entire time for once. Like... And he ended up buying a six-pack, and we split it. Nice. Kicking back in his rig. I didn't follow the rules of the road. I was going to ask you that. <laughs> Damn. Damn. No, he, bought, no he fucking bought me beer, notes. and then I called up my roommates, and okay. they came and picked me up from the north side of town. And That's cool, man. So that was a successful story there. So that's cool, man. 
like I said, I've never done it. I've honestly never been in a situation where, you know, I've had a hitch a ride. I mean, typically I could have called somebody and, you know, get a ride, but not for like long stretches of road. I didn't never been in that situation dude i'm not gonna lie i'm really surprised i got i was really worried when i was doing it i didn't think i was gonna get picked up because i did not look like someone you probably wanted to pick up dude <laughs> my hair was long and straggly and i still just had a one long like goatee and shit and i was wearing like pure black clothing yeah. and like well i mean there's this is no discredit to anybody who hitchhikes but there's just like anything that's kind of taboo there's always a stigma that's attached to it and people tend to you know they err on the side of caution so you know there's a here in town too there's a lot of people that do hitchhike and sometimes you feel kind of bad because you know the person's probably an honest person but then again i'm also like man i'm also not willing to really take that risk right now either i have watched the hitcher <laughs> i am experienced in this category <laughs> nice try satan <laughs> not today satan yeah <laughs> But then there's the other side. It's like, well, maybe it's Jesus. Like, maybe it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. If not... it's Jesus, he'll forgive me. <laughs> That's right. He's already, he's already been hung once. <laughs> but no. Yeah, I like I said, I can't say that I have, man. But I think this is a really cool story that gets taken from a song, The Doors, a classic. Oh, that was one other thing I was going to mention. Strangely. This movie was kind of because of Riders on the Storm. Yeah. I listened to Riders on the Storm for the first time because of horror. Oh, cool. Uh, because it was quoted at the beginning of one of the chapters in Christine. No shit. You know, here's something. You know, you're talking about Christine. This kind of makes me think of this, too. Is This gets back to the movie a little bit. Is after the gas station explodes and, you know, the whole gasoline incident. Yeah. The car the free slides out. fight. Yeah, <laughs> the sli- the car, Jim Halsey's car slides out, you know, onto the road and it's on fire. Now that's kind of straight out of Christine itself, the yeah. film. So, you know, there's a little bit of that there. And that makes sense considering if it's the opening line. You know? Yeah, it's one of the chapters. So, um, yeah. I can't remember which one. It makes but... sense. I mean, there is some borrowing. I mean, you can't help but pay homage here and there. But I read something that was kind of interesting. We probably should bring it up. I'm probably not the first person to mention this, so I can't take full credit. But... Who do you think the real... Where, where is the real tragedy in this film? Who do you think was the person who got slighted the most in this film? Because I have a theory about this. I guarantee you it's not who you think. In this film? Yes. Who got slighted the most? Jesus. I don't... I mean... The sheriff. <laughs> it's not a bad guess. It's definitely not any of the main characters. The person who got slighted the most and probably had the most shitty experience out of this whole thing was the guy waiting on his car... In San Diego. <laughs> no, like, he's probably still waiting on that car. What the fuck happened to my car? <laughs> Where's my car, dude? <laughs> Does, I, I was going to look this up. Did yeah. The fucking driveway car, all that shit, does that still exist? I think it does, honestly. It kind of goes back to my dad once again. It's like there are places and people who will... You know, you drive a car X amount, and the next person picks it up, and they drive it X amount. So there is a system. I don't know what it is exactly, but there is right. a system. I'm aware of it, yeah. Cool. I was just like, wow, that's oldie-timey now. I know. Call him <laughs> up. I thought it was kind of neat, but yeah, I mean, he even throws out real phone numbers and shit. Oh, I thought that was weird, because those weren't 555s. No, they were not. Those were Chicago area codes. 
Those are real numbers, aren't they? I believe like, they probably are. People get fucking called, don't they? Because like, of this God movie. Damn it! People get called because of this movie. Is it movie. you, Jim? <laughs> but no, that was kind of funny, man. There's, you know, there's a lot of that going on. There's one other thing I'll point out. It's kind of interesting. That's eight six seven five three zero nine right there. That's right, Jenny, Jenny. <laughs> there's a scene with C. Thomas Howell in the little cell that he's detained in. Mm-hmm. There's something in French written on the wall. Ooh, uh, yeah, I guess I do remember that something was written on the wall, but I didn't even think to look at it to see if it was, that it was French. I'm trying to think what the hell it says. It's like, mon, on, and then it's, I can't remember the last part, but it means death it's, to the guards. It's, oh, oh, oh. But, I mean, that's basically what it says. Death okay. to, it's just kind of a foreshadowing, too. And there was that scene, what I was going to mention in his dream sequence, where he's recollecting picking up John Ryder, and John Ryder knocks on the window. If you pay real close attention, you can hear the gunshots go off as he's tapping. Oh, yeah, the two gunshots. And it jolts him out. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of him getting jolted out of his sleep. If you pay attention, there's tires screeching. And it's always John. It's always John. I think I'm going to go with he's in purgatory. I like that. I like that. And Um, it'd be hard to argue against it. And he gets condemned to hell at the end of this movie. Yeah, he just has to keep reliving that experience over and over and over. Maybe one last thing I'll mention, and this is coming from C. Thomas Howell, and this is, there's a lot of improvisation in this film. One of them is a scene in particular where he's starting to really have the meltdown. It's after the cops who picked him up. Well, actually, he he holds them up at the gas station, oh, okay. right? Yeah. Those two guys. Oh, that was a cool scene. That okay, was. Yeah. And, you know, John Ryder, of course, Howard rides up blows those guys away and he's freaking out in the fucking backseat mm-hmm. he finally runs out and he has the gun and he's just like bang bang he's losing it he said while they were filming and the director was you know saying action all that stuff he's like he was going through it he said but something happened which is kind of unique and the dp kept it in he said when he was rubbing the dirt in his hair and on his face and he's looking up and he's like i'm pleading to god or whatever he says there's a cloud that moves in the sun hit me right in the face is that typically they would have called cut you know mm-hmm. because there's a lighting change and he said that the dp john zeal he's like oh mate he's like that was a really good moment <laughs> he's like we're gonna cut it in and it's gonna look brilliant right and he said you know that was the moment where his character after wanting to kill himself appeared you know mm-hmm. it's like that's where he was like all right i'm ready to face this fucker <laughs> you know and then from that point on it was kind of now he's not afraid anymore. He, he's going to meet him head on. And that's kind of what happens. That was kind of the, the shift. The path to hell is paved with good intentions. That's true, man. Good point. See, there's a lot this of that. This case literally paved. A lot literally of allegory. I mean, you can interpret it in those biblical senses, for mm-hmm. sure. You know, it's kind of cool. And with that, you know, without repeating myself, this film is just, I can't recommend it enough. Don't really watch the remake. I would say I have seen bits and pieces of the second one. With oh. Carrie War and C. Thomas Howell, I don't remember a lot of it, probably for good reason. <laughs> but this one I can't recommend enough, and I hope eventually this gets a proper Blu-ray release in its widescreen format. And I want to see a bunch of bonus features. And it's and somebody really run with film. the ideas. There's a lot of them in this. Yeah, I mean Jennifer Jason Lee was really good in this film too. I should mention that we oh, haven't really yeah, talked. We about haven't her really a lot. talked about her, but she did a really uh, good job. She did a good job. It's just, unfortunately, none of her scenes really made me jot down any notes. No. She, just she was... had some really good input, though. There was supposed to be a lovemaking scene, and she called them out. And was like, this is too Hollywood. It's like, where she and C. Thomas Howell are in the little motel rest stop room. Mm. And she's like, 
it just doesn't fit. And he's like, yeah, they, they already have a bond as they're surviving this experience. And, you know, and eventually she's going to get ripped apart. So it's just kind of like, and they wanted to put in a funeral in case they did show it. And it's like, oh, oh right. Yeah. To sort of dampen it and mm-hmm. all that stuff. It's like, no, man, get the fuck out of here. But long story short, this is a movie in the right hands. I think the right DP, somebody who has that same vision. And all the shit that had to get cut before you can get yeah. away with. Oh, them. you could. You certainly could. There are some people out there that we probably could recommend. Some people we might not know about. So yeah, somebody who has you know the vision, somebody who... I would say you'd have to be careful with the score, too. Don't overdo it because this is just Keep subtle it stark. Enough. Keep it, yeah. Yeah, and this is... A lot of people say it's ethereal. It's keep haunting. it wide. We yeah. didn't get the wide, but keep it wide. Yeah, keep it super wide. <laughs> but no, I just really enjoy it. And there are parts of this film where I can see Max Fury and like just the Mad Max itself, mm-hmm. you know, with the gunplay and oh, open absolutely. road and shit. It's absolutely. Like, I can't, you can't help but see that. Yeah, there's crazy weird action in this, but... Yeah, it's good. Because it's kind of out of nowhere. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's one of those films, too, where it doesn't really have a specific genre it fits in. It has a lot of action. It has elements of horror, suspense. Action, horror, thriller. Yeah, it's great, man. I love everything about it. It has a good beat. It's unrelenting, too. That's what I like about it. It's just nonstop. Super implied Gorn. Yeah, there a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Even with the kids. Oh, that's one last thing I want to mention. Oh, one I last wanted thing. to see that. Oh, I wanted to see that. One last thing. I know we talked about Kevin Bacon being Chomo. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody's ever called out Rucker Hauer for like pummeling and kissing that kid in the station wagon. That was kind of oh, weird. Yeah, that was weird. That was kind of weird. I mean, there's nothing to it, but it's like... I didn't mm. want to see that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't want to see that. We've already talked about the Don't baby. get it twisted. I wanted to see him slaughter the family. If you want to see that, check out a Serbian film. Um, yeah. <laughs> If not, watch this film. <laughs> but I just like, that was a little odd. Like, that didn't really fit, that scene. I agree. But yeah, outside of that, there was nothing really Well, I mean, to it, it fit, but... It, but no, nah, yeah, he yeah. didn't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's all I for this one. Yeah, so with that, that was our 72nd. It was a good one to sneak in before we make our month run. Yeah, well, I was going to say, we have one more week of us not knowing what the hell we're doing. Yeah, and then we do have a plan when we're right. But then we're planned. That's going to be a we'll fun We'll be able one. to give you guys, like, be like, cool, this is what you need to watch to get ready. And right now, the only thing that we can tell you to get ready is to please hit subscribe or head to our website, follow the links to some other way to watch us. That's www.friedsquirms.com. You can always stream us down at the bottom. There's links to the Facebook, to the Twitter, to the Instagram, which is Fried Squirms, at Fried Squirms, and Fried Squirms Podcast. You can always email us, squirmcast at gmail.com, yeah. or use the contact area on our website. It works as well. No, I do want to give a few mentions because we have been messaged a few times. Marquand, once again, he liked our Tremors episode. Good. Fucker yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> and we got another one. I want to give a shout oh, out to I Jason Rom. While Marquand's being brought up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking Wind Up Dead posted oh, a new track like two weeks ago that I was totally going to mention when they posted it. Mm-hmm. And then I went and watched Infinity War. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can understand. And so I just completely blanked on it. Fucking dug it. People, They're go, really listen, talented, go listen, wind up dead. Go cats from out of Houston, Harris County. Definitely a uh, show favorite. Yeah. Go check it out. Big ups to those guys. And I'm like sorry, I don't have it opened up in front of me. I can't even okay. say the name of the track, but I suggest you listen to all of them. Yeah, they're on the SoundCloud. Check them out. 
But I did want to mention Jason Rome. He messaged us. We would love to be your friend. As always, everybody else, you guys are our friends, even if you don't like us. <laughs> but he gave us a recommendation. I'll definitely check it out. We'll see if we can cover it at some point. did want to mention, too, that if you guys are interested in our Sleepy Slumber Pizza Milk, you can watch us on Jafar. Oh, we yeah. have we're going to be recording again soon. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, if you want to see us rather than just listen to us, that is just a friendly reminder on YouTube. Yeah, don't be afraid. <laughs> uh for the right price productions. There's always a right price is what I figured. Pretty much everyone that's involved in that you have heard on this show in so. one way or another. I mean, we're having so much fun with it and it's starting to go in a direction where you <laughs> Where our listeners might actually get more enjoyment out of it. I think so. Like, the first episode... Oh, man, it's... It's very specific. It the is. The second episode, very specific. Third wow. episode starts to change, still pretty specific, <laughs> right. to sort yeah. of what we do in our everyday yeah, lives, which involves grocery. Fourth episode, <laughs> you all are in for a treat. Yes, you are. And then fifth episode, which is upcoming, the things I know about it suggest that you're in for even more of a treat. Yes. Uh, I have heard the words Lynchian being thrown around by Patrick. I love it. <laughs> which, you know, we've talked about whenever you're ready for it, Tyler. You're, you're know, in for I'm a right. ride. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But yeah, no, I appreciate everybody who listens, who gives us recommendations. You know, it's fun, man. I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm really looking forward to future films, films that are coming out soon. There's some really cool shit going on. I'm looking forward to maybe films set in the future. Yeah. That kind of future film. No. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, we have some fun stuff, hopefully fun stuff planned. Yeah. To be honest, we don't know how the Purge month is going to go. I'm sure we'll have fun with it regardless. I think so too. But beyond that, we have fun stuff planned anyway. So yeah. fucking whatever. So stay tuned. Y'all got through our Hannibal episodes. So. Yeah. We know, <laughs> we know some people aren't fanables, but it's okay. We still love them. But for this week, I've been Tyler. I've Danny. Fried squirms. Out. <laughs>